Welcome to the D-Shift Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The D-Shift. I am so happy that you found time to come in and listen to this uh, conversation we're going to have today. I am meeting with Debbie Osborne, and she is a former social worker and lawyer who has worked with youth serving organizations, which is kind of cool because being an ex-teacher, I think that's kind of cool. And um, But your specialty now is really working on blending families, step-parenting, and foster parenting. Did I get that right, Debbie? Um, yes, you did. I, I still actually do um, a lot of work as a lawyer for youth-serving organizations, but a, a big focus of my practice and my uh, side gig <laughs> I guess maybe a good way to call it is working with a blended families. Um, the lessons that I learned being a single foster parent. Wow. So, so I'm curious what got you into this because that's kind of a unique area to be focusing in on. So, well, uh, it's a result of my having career ADD. I started out as a social worker, as you mentioned, I uh, and a, a probation officer with juvenile court. And frankly, I just burned out. I, I just got tired uh, of dipping out the ocean with a teaspoon. Yeah. And so I, I retreated to law school since arguing is, well, I consider it a skill set rather than character flaw. So <laughs> going to law school was, <laughs> was a, a good logical step. But I, I kept my passion for working with kids. I, I While I was in law school, I worked as a, a house parent in a group home near there. And then I've just done a lot of volunteer work. And when I uh, got out of law school, I actually worked for a while as a federal prosecutor on an Indian reservation, uh, uh, prosecuting crimes against children. And then when I just broke Long story, I ended up in private practice, and I discovered that there are a lot of youth-serving organizations out there that need advice. They get sued. I also can help them at the front end. I do a lot of work right now with child protection policies to prevent uh, abuse incidents and claims. So it it's all sort of my... Um, my career ADD all sort of resolved itself <laughs> into a unique niche. Well, hey, I got you beat. I went from working, having a degree in agriculture, working in a packing plant to becoming a teacher to now doing divorce mediation. So there are a yes. divorce mediator and divorce transition coach. So we, we both got the same condition. I tell That's you. Right. <laughs> so, so first of all, I want to tell you, thank you for what you do, because you are absolutely right. I do. Um, I, I did for a long time do um, uh, parental uh, termination of parental rights mediation. Oh, yes. And so, man, those are tough. So I so yes. respect the people that do what you are doing. So with your focus now, um, you know what, let's let's take a, a bit of a, a transition here from maybe where I was first going, because we're talking about this. Let's let's talk about the, the impact of trauma on kids, um, either from seeing kids that you're working with that have been through the foster system, which there are some wonderful foster families out there, and I so admire them and salute them. But there's also some really crappy ones too. So, oh, yeah. what, what what do you see about kids and trauma coming out of the foster system? 
or into well, a good home from a, a bad home foster system? So, um, well, and, and just to do a little bit of pushback, I, I think kids who go through divorce suffer trauma, too. Absolutely. We, yeah. We tend to normalize that because so many kids go through it. But uh, one of one of my um, mantras is as a as a step parent or, or as a foster parent, the thing that our kids have in common is we're not the person they want in their lives. They want their intact biological family. Yes. And so with foster with foster kids, many times our people who don't understand they haven't been in the field. I actually can always tell someone who's been in this field for a long time versus someone who's new, because when people outside say to us, "Oh, your kids are so lucky." People who who are new in the system tend to take that and say, yes, our kids are lucky because they came out of a bad home into our really good home. Those of us who've been in the field for a while know that our kids don't think they're lucky. No, they're living with strangers and people who no matter how nice we are, we are not the people who are supposed to be there. Yeah. And that is so that they come from trauma that that caused them to be taken out of their their um, uh, homes. Being involved with the foster care system is an additional trauma all in and of and by itself, which I could wax eloquent on that. It, it traumatizes the kids and the foster parents and just everybody involved. And then they, no matter how wonderful the foster family is, there is always the issue of fitting in somewhere where you just don't feel like you quite belong. Mm-hmm. And, and you you were absolutely right. So thank you for pointing that out, that uh, kids can experience this same sort of trauma um, going through the divorce. And this is one of the reasons why uh, I so strongly encourage my clients <laughs> Do not get into a new relationship until your kids are okay with what is going on in the divorce because, or not that they're ever going to be okay with the divorce, but that they have adjusted, that they are okay that mom and dad are living in two separate homes. They know they're going to have time with mom and time with dad. Please do not throw a new partner or a new dude or a new dudette in on top of these kids trying to deal with the fact that like you said, their intact biological family is no longer there in their lives. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You you have to wait until your kids are at least stable or, or some reasonable facsimile, you right. know, whatever plateau you can find, just find some sort of plateau for them. And, and then you can get on with your life. Yeah. And and the way to do that is not to ask your kids, are you okay if I start dating? That is, I'm sorry, that's stupid. (laughs) Your children don't tell you, you make the evaluation and determine whether your kids are healthy enough for that. So I know I've probably pissed somebody off saying that, but that's, I I mean, I really, really do believe that. So yeah, there are just some decisions that we as adults need to make. Yeah. And we we have to make decisions for our lives and for our kids. And we don't. This is one thing I do see single parents do this without realizing it. But they they turn the kids into the adult in the relationship. They give the kids too much responsibility for making decisions. And it, it happens a lot in divorce families. My, my husband, though, talks about 
um, when it, he was in a family, his, his parents didn't divorce. This was back during the 50s and 60s, but his dad was on the road all the time. So my husband ended up being the one under the sink, fixing the plumbing, and right. doing all sorts of adult responsibilities yeah. because his mom was slightly immature and he was the he was just the oldest boy in the house. So we do that without even thinking about it. Well, you know? and, and and you know, sometimes grandparents and aunts and uncles or family friends, you know, will say to say to a child, you know, if if a single mom, a young boy, they'll say, you know, you're the man of the house now, or a a, a, a single dad looking after maybe um, younger girls say, hey, you know, um, your response, you have to really step up and help your dad around the house. No, right. they're kids. They wouldn't be doing that if you just stayed together. They shouldn't be doing it because you have divorced. So, yeah. Yes. And and to bring this rabbit trail back, I found myself as a single foster parent. I, I had teenagers um, because, again, a long story, I, I had more skill sets than your average and teenagers are just more challenging than sure. average. So I ended up with teenagers, but, but I found myself, um, it was just easier to hang out with my kids sometimes than it was to, to find single people with free time to go to a movie or dinner with. And it wasn't that I was turning them into adults, but I realized I was counting on them too much for a social life. And sure. I had to go back to doing parent child things with them dinner and a movie to decompress from our week and that sort of thing and encourage them to get out with their peers and i had to do the work to get out with my peers yeah that's the real key with the you know with the teenagers because it is easy to become um really inward focused if you go through and particularly since our people are listening to a divorce that are that are probably listening on the podcast it's easy to kind of especially older teen kids to kind of find things to all do together and there's a very positive side to that we're not saying don't do things with your kids we're saying don't make your kids your peers (laughs) that's exactly responsible for your social uh social interactions and getting out and doing things so Right. With all the stuff we've talked about, don't do this and don't do that, don't do this. There's some really good things that parents do. And I know one of your areas of specialty is helping uh, maybe parents understand either step parents or foster parents and even biological parents, how to help kids become more resilient to things that are going on. What, mm, what do you yes. think are some things that maybe some strategies that parents could um, tap into to help build that natural resilience for kids? Well, one of the things that parents can do and uh, is understand the role that step parents um, are are going to play. And this was one thing I learned as foster parent. When I say that you're uh, sort of my extended mantra is you are not to to step parents and foster parents is you are not the person who's supposed to be in your kid's life. You never will be. And that's okay. So I would say as parents, understand that that um, your partner, no matter how wonderful they are, there will never be a one-to-one replacement in your kid's life. So, but the role that you can set your, your, um, your partner up for is to be a mentor. And there are 
study after study after study out there that shows that the there are a lot of factors important for resilience and helping kids overcome different kinds of trauma. But the one thing that consistently shows up in 95% of the studies as the, the number one or number two correlation for resilience is having an adult outside the family who serves as a mentor for that child. Right. And I'm, I'm afraid we're, we lose that on many levels because, you know, when we find a romantic partner, we tend to want them to become the father or the mother for our kids because they're so much better than our ex. Right. And, and, and of course, better than the know, ex. I, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, and, and of course I think that I'm much better at everything. My husband's ex is and rational people all agree with me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but my job is not to replace her in my kids' lives. I, I, I never can, but, I can be a mentor to yeah. them um, in in very important ways. And so that's something that, you know, parents, divorcing parents could realize what they need to look, the relationship they need to look for, it, it, the best they're going to get and the most healthy relationship is going to be, uh, in, in again, most cases, is yeah. going to be a mentorship. And, and that's what they need to work towards. If they don't have a significant other it, 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 who can take on that relationship, then they need to find one in their their circle, sports sure. activities or something. Now, I do a lot of work in, in abuse prevention, and I understand the, the, the whole fear of grooming kids for uh, for sexual abuse. And I also understand that if you look at, if you go on the internet and say characteristics of people who groom kids for, for sex, the list is going to overlap a lot of the good characteristics of, of mentors. Right. And it's very difficult to, 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 um, to understand the difference. But I, what I don't want is for us to be so worried about what is actually statistically a small percentage that our kids are going to be groomed. We get so worried about that that we we shut them off from what we know is one of the best ways to help them recover from the trauma. Right. But at the same time, kids who suffer trauma are also at higher risk for future abuse. Sure. So. The short version, I would say, is you just the the boundary line is boundaries. If you get an adult who starts pushing the boundaries with your kids and who starts telling your kid, trying to isolate the kids from the family, either physically or emotionally, those are the two red flags that you need to watch for. So you have a coach who takes all the kids out for ice cream all the time. That's fine. You have a coach who's taking just your kid out for ice cream all the time. That's a red flag. You need to find another mentor. Right, right. And and I think that's I, I think that's so true. And I think it's good for single moms and single dads to be really hyper vigilant. And let's let's uh, just acknowledge that there can be that that grooming is not just men. That adult oh, yeah. women can be grooming young men or other or young girls. So it, you really can't just you really need to think big picture. And so I appreciate you saying that, Debbie. I think that's really important. And I think you're right. Watching is, is there a disproportionate interest in the child 
um, or spending time with the child or, hey, you go out shopping, I'll take care of the kids. Okay, occasionally that might be really nice, but if it's a pattern. And the other thing I think, right, is talking to your kids ahead of time and saying, really supporting them and saying, hey, if something doesn't feel right, you come and talk to me first time it happens. Um, Let you know, right. So that that classic situation, I I had a, but that doesn't happen. I I had a friend call me classic situation, single mom said, I've I've got this coach who um, the kids really like him. But my son came home and said, you know, he took a few of us today to this sort of strip kind of show. It wasn't really a strip show, but it was kind of close and I was uncomfortable. And he told us not to tell anybody when we got home. And I said, oh, all right, that I can just check off the red flags. Just a few kids going to something edgy, pushing boundaries and telling them not to tell parents just yeah. to, to keep it a secret between all of us. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Yeah, that's a and, huge problem. And you, that's got to find another coach. And that's the part what I'm hearing is that, first of all, your friend must have done some really good things with her son because her son came yes. told her right away. So that's super right. positive. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that, that, that we're talking about that part of that resilience is having a parent, they know they can trust and come talk to. I like the idea of mentorship. I think that's really phenomenal. And sometimes um, do you find that even that mentor could be like a grandparent or an uncle or a family member? It doesn't, does it have to be outside of the family or? It, it, it's outside the immediate family. Okay. So, so the trick is someone who's not, 24 7 authority figure right and someone that they can confide in who can give them advice and then they can go back to their 24 7 life so it's just someone other than parents in the home okay yeah i I love that i love that idea so i know one one thing that you had talked about i heard you talk about this before is one-way commitments what what is like a one-way commitment i'm i'm that kind of caught my eye or my ear when I was listening to it. So, well, when, when we work with kids, we, we have to understand that, that we have to make a commitment to them that they may, or they may want to, but they're not capable of, of reciprocating. And again, part of this is because we're the adults and they're not. So, there's just is no child who has the emotional wherewithal to um, to love us as much as we love them. Right. And I, I hear this from from parents all the time. You know, my my child just doesn't understand how much I do for them. They don't appreciate me. Well, no, they don't. They're they're kids. <laughs> they're not going to. So give up. You just have to wait uh, twenty years, you know, for them to appreciate it. Um, so, so there is that level of if you're going to take care of kids, it just has to be a one-way commitment. Um, but then the other thing is, again, with, with kids from, who have experienced trauma, they just, it's really hard for them to trust people. And the only way that they're going to trust you is, is for you to just be there. Yeah. Um, I, I, my youngest stepson, when I married um, his dad, was um he was still a preteen and he he was extremely nervous every time my husband and i would have any sort of discussion that sounded like a disagreement or any disagreement or anything he would just get extremely worried 
and and I, I I talk in my book about one night when he um I was putting him to bed and and he said um, Debbie when when you and Dad break up and I said oh, no we're we're not gonna be breaking up and he said yeah well whatever if you and Dad break up can can I come live with you. And I was, I, I was flattered. I was appreciated it, but I understood he was so nervous about his future that he was, you know, trying to put all the hedges in place. Sure. Yeah. And uh, a few years ago, I asked him when he quit worrying about that. And he said, "Oh, I don't know. Maybe after ten or so years, um, that that you know that." I, I just didn't worry about it. I said, well, why did you quit worrying about it? And he thought for a minute and said, well, you're still here. Yeah. <laughs> the proof <laughs> is in the pudding. Right? <laughs> That's right. But it wasn't anything brilliant I said. It, and, 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 of course, I'm a lawyer, so I said lots of brilliant things. <laughs> but it was, it was no, no words yeah. <laughs> that I used. It was simply the fact that I didn't go away. And and that's what it takes with our kids is to just always have their back and always be there. Now, these one-way commitments, that I, I, I do always want to say they are not unlimited commitments. We, we have to have healthy boundaries, and that's sure. a whole other topic. But they are they are one-way commitments. And in the sense that I always tell my, my stepsons, and I always refer to them as my sons, but, I, but I've always said to them, no, I'm not your mother. You have a mother, but you are my sons. And it it is just that one-way commitment. I am there, and they don't have to consider me their yeah. mom. I am yeah. just always there. Yeah. And and I, lo- I love that idea that as the parent, you can say, this is what I'm committing to you. Right. Um, but you're not, you don't expect that, that same feedback. And I think that- right. You know, that's one thing. I used to do the the parent education classes, the court ordered ones, uh, co-parenting. And it always amazed me when parents would say, you know, we got his, hers and ours. And, and I love all my kids equally. And every yes. single kid knows that that is BS. There is you have a different relationship with your biological children than your husband's children than the children yes. you have together. We're humans. Of course we do. Um, you know, so I, I, kids are fa- fairly intuitive about this kind of stuff. I think, right, um, right, right, right. They're pretty smart. They, they do. So we have covered a ton of information, um, <laughs> and and you have such a, such an area of expertise. I, I we haven't had anybody talk about this kind of stuff on the show before. So thank you for because sometimes this isn't easy. Sometimes people don't like to hear some of these messages. Do you find that? Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I do. I do. And and especially I that's one of the reasons I, I sort of got involved in, in doing the book and the blog is because I had so many friends who just were making so many mistakes. And I I I was fortunate in one sense. I made all of my mistakes with foster kids. So when I got married with my stepkids, um I, I was able to to learn from all from all of those mistakes. And I, I'm just watching my, you know, listening to my, my friends say, I, I just, uh, one common thing, you know, is, well, I just, I just don't like my husband's kids. Well, okay. I've, I've had plenty of foster kids I didn't like, <laughs> but you, you commit to them and you care about them and you love them anyway. Right. Um, and, and I think every kid, anyone who's raised any kids knows that, 
Oh, 13 to 15. They just, the aliens take their brains and they're just not likable people. <laughs> Something happens. <laughs> Something happens. You like just that. have to wait for the aliens to return their brains. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that usually about 18 or 19, that kind of all clicks back around, sometimes in the 20s. But um, so, Debbie, we have covered a ton of information. What do you think or what would you like people to focus on or to keep in kind of in the in the front of their minds when they uh, turn off the podcast and go on about their day? Well, I think with your audience of, of divorced people, and uh, th- there's a couple of things. One is the studies showing that um, kids who uh, whose parents um, have been in high conflict divorces and whose parents have high conflict relationships, those kids suffer more trauma and have more problems than kids from low conflict divorces. Definitely. They're going to have some trauma, but... But the more conflict there is, the more trauma there is for kids. Um, And then the second one, I I would say, again, to to parents going through this is. And I would I would never second guess parents who decide to divorce. So when I say this, it is not a criticism. It is just a statement of a fact. Your divorce is rocking your child's world. Yep. And you have to give them time to get their feet back under them. And there will be all sorts of horrid, terrible, obnoxious reactions from them. Um, or they may go the other direction. If I saw this in my foster kids and try to be perfect so that they can fix the situation. And that, of course, they only have stamina for that for a few weeks, maybe a few months if you're right. lucky. And then everything will hit the fan. Um, so just understand that, that. Yeah, kids are resilient, but it is, it's not, resilience is not their natural state when you are tearing their world apart. Yeah. And just supporting them and providing them the resources. And I like the idea of the mentors and everything else that you mentioned. So Debbie, if people want to find out more about what you do or get, get in touch with you or get a copy of your book, what, what do they do? Um, well, there are two websites. One is raisingotherpeople'schildren.com, which is has my book, and it also has links to my blog. And then there is raisingotherpeople'schildren.blog.blog, um, which is where my blog is, and it's on my website, and they can find out more than they ever wanted to know. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Debbie. I'm a lot to think about with this one, I think. Uh, so I think this is really new information and great information. So, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening into the D ship and make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for listening and supporting the D-Shift podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-Shift crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.